Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, keep your Bibles open to Galatians 5. Tonight we conclude our series on playlist propaganda where we've been looking at the popular songs that we sing and the messages that they teach us. And then comparing these messages in light of God's word and his will for our lives. Well, the majority of the songs that we sing today have to do with sex, about losing control and gratifying our desires. And it's not just the songs we sing, but TV, social media, movies, advertisements, all loudly promoting a world of hedonism, meaning uh, the pursuit of pleasure without consequence or restraint. Uh, And the passage we just read, its first readers would not have been strangers to this culture of, of hedonism or unrestrained passion. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to communities of young converts in in Asia Minor. These churches faced division over how they were to be right with God and how to live lives pleasing to God in light of their, uh, in the midst of their pagan culture. Paul's great argument of Galatians is that those in Jesus are made right before God by faith in him and not by observing the Jewish law. He says, it is for freedom that Christ sets us free. And then he he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And this is where Paul explains why how we use our body matters. Paul opens this part of his letter that we just read, arguing that either we will be controlled by the Spirit to live lives pleasing to God, or controlled by the flesh in opposition to God. Now the flesh doesn't mean our our physical nature as opposed to our spiritual nature, as if there was some kind of dichotomy between the two, but rather our flesh being the base part of all our being that desires to oppose God and serve ourself. And so verse 16, we read, Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Gratify the desires of the flesh. I was 13 years old when the guy who had the locker above me in high school told me that on Friday nights on SBS, there was pornography. I kind of scoffed at him, thought I'm a Christian, I would never get into that kind of stuff, I know it's bad, but it planted a seed in my brain that I couldn't get out of my head. And so one Friday night after school, uh, after the Friday night movies had kind of finished out of boredom or curiosity, I flicked over to SBS and even though the reception was bad and analog, analog TV back in those days, it was still enough to see what was going on, my first encounter with pornography. Fast forward a couple of years later, a friend of mine at school in year nine, he had an iPod Touch. Anyone remember iPod Touch? I remember being a few rows back in English class, seeing this uh, year nine student hidden in his pencil case, his iPod Touch, while the teacher was teaching, uh, watching pornography. What eventuated among the boys at school was this highly profitable enterprise where 
one of the boys had hacked a subscription to porn videos and what he did was he shared around this password amongst the boys so that they could go home on their computers and fulfill their desires and indulge uh, in unlimited views. Fast forward to today, the pervasiveness of pornography among young people has spread to alarming levels. Teenagers no longer have to wait for Friday Night SBS or, or before that, Sneaker Magazine or steal subscriptions, but can fulfill insatiable desires with constant access to their phones in unlimited video footage, marinating their brains in continuous, mostly violent, misogynistic sex. Putting any boundaries on sexual expression in our culture is considered archaic. No consequence, no commitment, no restraint. Sexual expression is the norm. Hookup culture has reduced sexual relationships to a, a swipe left or right and judged on performance. It's expected by the third date to be in bed together. Even among young Christians, saving sexual activity for marriage seems impossible and boundaries blurred. There are no longer moral or ethical distinctions between hetero or homosexual sex, but rather a sex positivity where Desires with consent can and should be gratified. Human flourishing means being true to yourself, true to the desires within you. Take, for example, a bit of a case study. In 2003, a, a movie was released uh, around Christmas time called Love Actually. An intertwining of different love stories and affairs. It's a, it's a sweet storyline, but serves to normalize sexual affairs, no matter the context, and celebrate human freedom to gratify their desires wherever it feels right. Society today in the West reflects this same attitude. Love is a feeling, an attraction, a desire, and should be pursued. Gratify your desires for personal pleasure without consequence. The West has been built upon the belief that as the individual is given freedom, we will flourish. And in the last 50 years, this has been applied more and more in our sexual expression, the catch cry of the sexual revolution. If we can throw off restraints to our desires and our passions, then we will experience flourishing. The sexual revolution in our time has been very effective. Non-marital sex no longer carries any stigma, in fact, you should try before you buy. Sex is a natural feeling, a, a recreation to be enjoyed. Anything goes, so as long as those involved are consenting adults. Anything goes, as long as those involved are consenting. Not gratifying your desires, as Paul puts it, by today's narrative is to be untrue to yourself. And so it works something like this. Desires plus no restraints equals freedom. This is the narrative we're told. Desires plus no restraints equals freedom. In the words of cultural commentator and modern thinker Taylor Swift, to the fellow over there with the hella good hair, won't you come on over, baby, we can shake, 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 yeah, because the player's going to play, 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 play. This is the music on our playlist. This is the message of our time. The tagline of Tinder, if you look up the Tinder website, wouldn't recommend, but the Tinder website, the tagline, make every single moment count. T 
Tinder is more than a dating app. It's a cultural movement. Welcome to hashtag swipe life. Be true to yourself. Your biology does not define you. Certainly God does not define you. You be you. Your desire is king. Love is love. Desires plus no restraints equals freedom and flourishing. But there seems to be a problem with this story. Are we free? Are we more fulfilled? The liberated sex movement has not been without consequence. The pervasiveness of porn is affecting the way young men and women experience sex. Research is now showing that porn is acting like a a drug, flooding of dopamine in the brain, wiring neural circuits and contributing to anxiety and depression. Not to mention porn is a terrible teacher, producing harmful expectations on young women, pressured to play out the things their partners witnessed online. It seems that our pursuit of liberated sex has left the most fragile in our society most vulnerable, fueling sexual violence and in worst cases, the trafficking of women and children. When the desires of sex are disconnected from love and commitment, what we're left with hasn't been freedom but disillusionment. And distortion. A cosmopolitan writer, Joanna Coles, she says, uh, getting naked and having sex with strangers is hard. We portray it as fun and pretend it, it's fun, but people crave intimacy, which is not easy to create in a hookup. That's why Britain just appointed a loneliness minister. Coles, she's not a Christian, but she's an editor of this magazine, and she's observing the culture around her and seeing the cheapening of sex separated from intimacy is producing disillusionment, not freedom. Desire plus unrestraint is not producing freedom, but rather disillusionment and distortion. Unrestrained human nature leads to to the distortion of good things. In fact, the word desires in the original Greek in the passage we read translates better to over-desires or or an all-controlling drive or, or longing. See, Paul's not talking about desiring bad things, but rather the desire, the over-desire of good things. And these over-desires of the flesh are against the spirit, as we read, working in opposition to what God would want for our lives and for flourishing. So if you've got your Bible there in Galatians 5, Paul shows us here the distortions of unrestrained desires. If you look with me at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You see, each of these acts of the flesh are distortion of a good thing. When we allow our desires to rule us, we take what God has made good and we, and we distort it. Well, firstly, distorted sexuality, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I'm not saying that sex is bad, nor desire for sex is bad. God has made it good. It is a wonderful gift of our Creator made for a whole life union of, lo- of 
heart, soul, and mind between husband and wife, other-centered sacrificial love of two lives committed to each other for life, that's actually pointing to a greater reality of our deep longing for union with God who created us and as a witness of the sacrificial love of Jesus for his church. We take this good thing that God has made, this wonderful thing, and we distort it, turning it in on itself, reducing sex to technique and a commodity. Pornography is a distortion of God's good design of sex. What should be a sign of covenant union becomes an object of self-gratification. In fact, Jesus calls this adultery. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or the same principle for women looking, uh, lusting after men, Jesus says this is adultery in our heart. God has a high view of sex. And when we debase it and remove it from its purpose, we are sinning against God, we are sinning against our spouse, and we are dehumanizing the actors involved. Similarly, sex and sexual activity outside of marriage is promising with your body what you are not willing to pay with your life. Girlfriend, boyfriend, sexual activity outside of marriage is promising with your body what you are not willing to pay with your life. God has designed marriage to be a wonderful reflection of his sacrificial, self-giving love. And and sex is an image of this union. And so partaking in sexual activity without the covenantal commitment of marriage is selfish, dishonoring, and and dishonest. You're giving of your body what you haven't promised or given of your life. And this is why I believe also that masturbation is outside of God's will for our sexual expression. If sex is about self-giving and sacrificial love to the one you are married to, then masturbation is a distortion of these good desires. You see, if sex is about bonding to another person and serving another, then masturbation only serves to bond us to imaginations whom we control and manipulate to serve ourselves. You see, it's a picture that distorts what God has intended for our sexual expression. These over-desires and controlling desires for a good thing when turned in on itself distorts. Our next distorted worship, idolatry and sorcery. We take a good desire to worship our transcendent creator, the wonderful, glorious God who is mysterious and great. And we turn this desire inwards. We chase after transcendent experience and distort desires into idolatry, sorcery. We pursue ecstasy and experience a feeling of otherworldliness instead of worship and delight in our creator. Then next, distorted relationships, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. See, God has made us for community. We naturally desire to be with others, but when our desires and flesh turn inwards, our hearts distort and our desires for others to conform to our wants. Anyone with a different opinion is vilified. We hate those who disagree with us. We envy those who have more. We are jealous of those who have what we don't have. We portray images of ourselves on social media to fulfill our desires to be wanted. Our desires take over and our hearts 
become hard. And distorted pleasures, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. We take the good things that God has made for our enjoyment and we distort them into addictions, cravings, and and self-numbing. We are ruled by our desires. We quickly forfeit our control. When the passions and desires of our flesh control our lives, we're not left more free, but disillusioned and unfulfilled. In my own experience, giving in to temptation doesn't quench a thirst, but rather fuels it. I wonder as you reflect on your own life, where are you allowing your sinful nature to control you? Where are you allowing your desires to distort what God wants for you? Have you been caught up in our culture that blindly consumes a cheapened version of sex and envy, greed, and drunkenness? I have. Looking at this, I know there is much in my life that I'm living and allowing to work against the Spirit. You see, ultimately, it's a terrible trade-off Paul writes, verse 21, As I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, or uh, in the NIV, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. In other words, a life ruled by the flesh, a life ruled by the flesh will not experience the joy or the fulfillment of God's kingdom. If this is not our future, if Christians believe in the kingdom of God as our inheritance, why would it be okay for us now in distortions of God's intentions for us? As Paul said before, we cannot use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature. I've got a one-year-old boy, many of you have met Ned, and he is the fussiest eater. My wife Meg and I made him well, actually, Meg made him a toasty the other day, and instead of eating it, uh, he pulled it apart, he, he threw the ham, he threw the cheese, and all he wanted to do was take the bread and lick the barbecue so- sauce off. An hour later, he is grumpy and he is hungry. Go figure. When we are ruled by our passions and desires and serve them without restraint, instead of receiving our true fulfillment in God, we are exchanging it for a distorted and worse reality. We need a vision for something better. As we think about the cultural narrative around us, as we reflect on our own lives, we need a vision for something better, and I believe it's exactly what Jesus offers to us. When Jesus is rightly Lord over our desires, he shapes and he forms us into the people he made us to be, and we experience true and lasting fulfillment. And so instead, the equation of the way of Jesus looks like this. Led by the Spirit, plus self-denial, equals formation and fulfillment. Well, firstly, led by the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit? Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, if you've got Galatians open there, uh, look back at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. 
It is the Spirit that works in us to believe by faith in Jesus who gives us his righteousness. The Spirit is working to convict us of our need of Jesus because of our sin, removing the veil that blinded us and transforming us to be more like Jesus. You see, we could never in of ourselves please God by his law or be righteous. We have all failed and allowed our desires to lead us to sin. I want to read to you some verses from 2 Corinthians 3 that will help us see what the Spirit is doing in us. Uh, From chapter 3, verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Later, verse 17 of chapter 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul here is alluding to the promises that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was writing to the uh, Jewish community in exile, and he writes, he prophesies this, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse, 36, uh, verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verse 22, beg your pardon. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, And which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Listen to this. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Tonight, if you have felt the conviction of your sin as I have this week, hear this promise of God. By the blood of Christ shed on the cross, he has cleansed you of your sin. You are forgiven. No longer do you bear the guilt or the shame of sin. Christ has set you free. This is what Paul is so passionate to share with us. How sweet and wonderful the knowledge that we will not face the wrath of God for our crookedness, but are hidden in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, knowing that Christ has forgiven you. 
Understanding his grace is the only way you will overcome the rule of your fleshly desires and sin. Let me say that again. This is so important. Understanding his grace for you is the only way you will overcome the rule of your fleshly desires and sin. And here is the wonderful grace of God to give you a new heart, to place his spirit within you, to enable you to walk in his ways. We cannot do it on our own. We never could do it on our own. We needed the grace of God. And here is the hope that he has placed his spirit within us. We need this vision of Jesus and his lordship. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he purchased us out of our helplessness. In another letter, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. That price was his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is Lord over our bodies. Jesus as God, our creator, and Jesus as our savior and our substitute has every authority over our lives. But that's a good place to be in, as we'll see. Jesus has the authority to set the parameters over our life as our creator and the wisdom to know how we best flourish. Therefore, to be led by the Spirit, in all this in mind, to be led by the Spirit is to walk in the ways of God, not in our power, not in our strength, but by the power He has given to us. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I want to read this again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you remember anything tonight, I want you to hear that the, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiling, unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, the transformation of the Spirit will work in us through a denial of our sinful desires. And so we come back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's the spirit plus self-denial. That word there, crucified, it's not a friendly picture. Restraining our desires not gratifying our desires, restraining our desires, will involve suffering. Elsewhere, Paul talks about putting to death our sinful nature, Romans 6. And again, I want to read this passage because it's so helpful in our framework of thinking about our sinful nature. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also 
must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Hallelujah. See, dying to ourselves and to our desires seems counterintuitive, if not a, a bad thing. This narrative, the, the, the music that we're listening to is saying, gratify your desires. The Spirit is saying, put to death the desires of your flesh. But there is great power found through self-control, and, and we understand this instinctively. When I skip my run and instead I sit on the couch and eat that extra packet of lollies, giving in to my cravings. It's easier in that moment, but my health suffers the consequences. Working out is hard. It hurts. We suffer. Saying no to that extra dessert at family dinner, it's hard. You should meet my mother-in-law. She, it's amazing. It's hard. I say yes, though. I give in. But, but we get fitter when we say no, Yeah. The same is true of our character. When you restrain your desires, conforming your passions under the lordship of Jesus, you will suffer. But suffering produces in us perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. This is the formation of character that Paul so beautifully contrasts to the distortions of character we heard before. Led by the Spirit plus self-denial will firstly result in formation. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The result of the Lordship of Jesus and the Spirit's leading in our lives will be this growth of spiritual fruit. Giving in to our passions and our desires deforms character, whilst tension, restraint, self-control forms character. Denying ourselves, being led by the Spirit, the Spirit forms us, producing spiritual fruit in our lives. And so Christians are not just asking, what am I doing? Those who follow Jesus, Christians, are asking, who am I becoming? Just asking, what am I doing? We're asking, who am I becoming? You see, God is doing a work by His Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit are not actions or, or works described of the flesh, but they are qualities of our life. A life grown in us that looks like Jesus, that loves that's full of joy, that's peace, that's good to others, that is gentle, where we show kindness, where we're self-controlled. This is the power of the grace of Jesus that changes our desires. And this is Paul's point as he goes through the law or the rules or code could never change a person's heart or shift our wrong desire. We always needed this new heart that God would give us. It was prophesied to Ezekiel. 
as we allow the Spirit to lead us, an inner work happens so that our passions and our desires are for God and for fulfillment, our fulfillment met in Him. You see, the narrative of the world and the pattern of our sinful desires is a pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction. This, this pursuit, this desire of fulfillment is a good thing, but it is looking in the wrong places. This is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus who said, I have come that you might find life and life abundantly. Or as we were reminded this morning from our pastor Timon from John 12, uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, Jesus can fulfill you in a way that sexuality and relationships and pleasures never can do. Jesus' lordship, his authority over our desires is good news because he can satisfy us. You see, when we make ourself the highest authority as as our culture is telling us to do, when our self is the highest authority, we turn our hearts inward, we're left empty because we cannot satisfy ourselves fully. In ourselves, we cannot. Our hearts just collapse in on itself. Whereas the hope of the gospel of Jesus is that he has brought peace with God our creator, the one who made us, the one who formed us, the one who knows our hearts, the one who knows how we are fully satisfied in him. The spirit plus self-denial equals formation and true fulfillment. If you're not a Christian with us today, we want to hold out to you that, the, that we have a better narrative for you. Jesus, if you let him be Lord of your passions and, and of your desires, and as you read his word and understand his will for your life, we know you'll discover true life and fulfillment. It's the life that we have found and we cannot but help share it with you. The pathway, though seemingly pleasing away from God, is leading to destruction and hopelessness. Whereas the path following Jesus seems narrow and will cost you your life, will ultimately give you eternal life and the peace you are looking for. And the wonder of the gospel is that when we give over our lives to him and his, his righteousness, we could never do it on our own. When we die with him, as the scriptures say, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. And today, if you're following Jesus, my encouragement to us is, what we do with our bodies matters. God is forming us into the image of Jesus, and it will be painful at times, but we trust that the lordship of Jesus is true freedom. We are free from condemnation. This is our hope. We've all been distorted in our pursuit of sinful desires. The wonder of the gospel is that he has saved us by God's grace. And I need you to hear this tonight, that if you've been convicted of your sin, that remember that God has paid the penalty. And we are saved by God's grace. 
but here also that he is calling us to live and to become like Jesus, to walk in the Spirit and allow him to transform us. You see, Jesus calls us to rid our lives of sin, not to enslave you, but to set you free, true freedom into whom God has made us to be. And so it's time for us as a church to crucify our sinful habits. It's time for us to crucify our compromising in dating. It's time for us to crucify our addictions to pornography, both the hardcore and the soft stuff of Netflix and Stan. We must crucify our jealousy and our hate and our comparison to put to death our giving in to drunkenness. If you're struggling in your sin, know that Jesus offers grace upon grace upon grace. And you are not alone. You are not alone. We must repent of our sin. Bring to the light what we have been holding in the darkness that Jesus might shine his light and his freedom over us. When the Spirit rules our hearts, when we give over to Him our rights and passions and our desires, then we will see fruit in our lives. We need to wake up and, and hear what is being told to us by the world around us and see that the way of Jesus is different and that we are called to be like Jesus, that we might stand out, that we might shine as lights in a crooked generation. As we pursue purity, as we pursue faithfulness, not in our own strength. It's not a matter of conjuring up goodness in ourselves, but rather a yielding over to Jesus. A yielding of all our failures and all our sin and allowing Jesus to work His grace and His life and His fulfillment in and through us, rejoicing and remembering that we are members of His kingdom. This is who we are. Let us live as He has called us to be. So I believe that God is calling us to a place of repentance tonight. A recognition that we have been gratifying our sinful nature, serving ourselves, yielding, of all, uh, yielding to us, uh, our sinful nature instead of the Lord Jesus. Instead, let us come to a place of, of submitting to Jesus, laying at the foot of His, his cross our sinfulness, and yielding to God's Spirit to work in our lives. Do we want this? Do we want? This is what He wants to do by His Spirit. We're going to suffer as we resist our desires, but we've got to know that as we die to ourselves, He lifts us up. And so I believe, as I need to do, I'm going to pray in a moment, that we need to come to this point of putting to death our old self in repentance. Tonight, I want to encourage you to talk to someone. I'm going to be up at the front, and after the service, I've invited some others too to come and pray, and also if you want to come and pray for some of your friends too, that there's no shame, no shame in coming forward and praying for the Spirit to bring freedom in your life. Let's as a community, let's stand up, let's wake ourselves up and hear the music and know that Jesus' way is better. And so after the service, after we're going to respond by, I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond in worship and commitment, a declaration that I will build my life upon Jesus. And then after Georgia closes, uh, the band's going to continue just quietly.
quietly playing and there's going to be some of us up the front to pray and I really want to encourage you to come and pray with us. Bring to the light what you are holding in the darkness. Come join me in my repentance. I know the Lord has convicted me that I have been uh, sinning against God and God wants to bring in us His, His holiness. Uh, so would you, would you stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness. You are so good and you've made this world so good. You have loved us with an everlasting love. We thank you that even while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. But Lord, we know that uh, there are parts of our lives that we have been Uh, living in opposition to what you would have for us. God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have paid the penalty, that on the cross we bear no shame. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But I pray, God, would you work in us by your Spirit. We invite you to do a work in us as we put to death ourselves, that you would raise us up, transform us, Lord. Let this community be known that we stand out. Let it be known that we have a better narrative, the way of Jesus, and it is good news. Lord, set us free from our addiction. Set us free from our sinfulness, God, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So God, help us, lead us. Spirit, lead us. We call upon you now. And God, we're so sorry for our sinfulness and our distortions. We thank you for this promise of fulfillment. So, Lord, would you work in us? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.